Bibles this morning. If you brought a Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have Bibles for you. If you slip your hand up, we can make our way to you and get you a copy of a Bible for you. Um, we're in a series called Rebuilding Homes. And this series is a series that uh, is focused on uh, the fact that even within churches, even in our churches, even Christian families are often broken families. I come from a broken marriage. Um, um, my dad used to tell me stories of how messed up his house was. My mom tells me stories that makes it hard to go to family reunions when I have to look at these people that my mom had to deal with growing up. Um, even Christian families that proclaim the gospel and go to church together don't always have picture-perfect families. And we're not just talking about uh, we forget to wash the dishes. We're talking about dysfunctionality, broken relationships, uh, unforgiveness, bitterness. Um, and it, it, it's, we deal with it on all kinds of levels. So last week we talked about the foundation. It doesn't make any sense to start laying bricks if you don't address the foundation. That foundation has to be Christ. God created marriage. God created the family unit. And as soon as Adam and Eve messed it up, as soon as, as soon as they bit that fruit and sin entered the world, and suddenly bitterness became a reality, envy became a reality, murder became a reality with the first kids, um, all that messed up stuff that entered the world is to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. God made that promise that there will be a seed through Eve's offspring. There will be one offspring that will defeat the serpent. He will crush the serpent's head. The serpent will take a bite. That's the cross. But Jesus rose again crush the head of the serpent, and that's why it has to be founded on Christ. Otherwise, there is no redemption for marriage. There is no redemption for family. There is no redemption for relationships. But once Christ is in the picture now, what does it look like? What are the little building blocks? What are the little bricks that we can put together with the mortar of prayer and the Word that's built on the foundation of Christ? And the first one we want to look at today is the fifth commandment. And that's in Exodus chapter 20. If you turn there with me, we'll take a look at it. In Exodus chapter 20, we find a familiar set of commands. Maybe you saw the Charlton Heston movie when you were a kid growing up. Maybe you saw, you know, you saw it on some flannel graphs in Sunday school. I mean, this is something that's common. It used to be in courthouses and, and whatnot. Uh, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not steal, etc. But the fifth commandment is also a familiar one. In verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving. Honor your father and your mother. Now, how many of us as parents like to throw that one out there? Hey, you know, what did it say? Ten commandments. Uh, it's one of the ten. He only picked ten, and that was one of them. So clean your room. Honor. All right? Do your homework. Why? Because I said so. Honor. I mean, this is a book, and it's not illegitimate to go there. I mean, this is a command. Honor your father. I'm your father. It says honor your father. Would, you know. Hey, this is, this is a, there's a chain of command here, and it's scriptural. Problem is, this verse wasn't addressed to kids. The nation of Israel had just escaped Egypt. They went through, they walked through the Red Sea, turned behind them, and saw the Red Sea swallow up their enemies. They're completely, God completely has their attention. Now, there's spans and moments where Israel just is not listening. And then God would do something miraculous again, and they go, oh, I get it, like they just forgot the other thing. Sometimes we feel like we need miracles to hear God, but it's only a moment. It's a flash in the pan. Well, this is one of those flashes. God had their attention. They were all gathered at the base of Mount Sinai to hear God. God tells Moses, now make sure they don't touch the mountain, because if they touch the mountain, they'll die. 
I'm that, I'm that holy. I'm that, you know, we can't have them just all coming up on the mountain. Only you're allowed to come up. But like in the movie Ten Commandments, you know, Charlton Heston goes up and then it's sort of a private session between him and God and God gives him the Ten Commandments. But when you read Exodus 20, that's not what it looks like. It looks like God gave the Ten Commandments verbally to all of them, to the nation. And it was so thunderous and so loud that after the Ten Commandments, they go, no, we can't. He's going to kill us. Just the voice, just the sound, the lightning, the, 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 the mountain shaking. I mean, Moses, you just talk to him and then you deliver us the word. But before they struck that deal, God spoke and he spoke these Ten Commandments. And God did not say, now for this next commandment, let's gather all the kids in the front, like some pastors do the, the children's sermon, right? Let's gather all the kiddies. Hey, kiddies. We're going to take a time out from all the killing, stealing, adultery stuff. You don't understand that anyway. And I'm going to give you a special commandment. Oh, this commandment was to the leaders, the nation, the families, the tribes, the clans, the parents. It wasn't the kids that were constructing idols. It wasn't the kids that were making graven images. It wasn't the kids that were struggling with thoughts of murdering someone else because they liked what they had. It was the adults. And the same applies for commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother. But I'm a grown-up. Right. Honor your father and your mother. What does that mean to honor? Well, it could include obedience. Later in Ephesians, Paul tells hey, children, obey your parents because of the fifth commandment. So how does a child honor a parent? Through obedience. But how do adults honor parents? Is it through obedience? Well, no. And we know that because Genesis just told us. You will leave father and mother and hold fast to your wife. And some people don't understand that distinction. They want to stay cling to their parents and also cling to their wives. And then when the wife and the mother-in-law have some sort of dispute, the guy's in the middle like, oh, 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 but I love you, but I love you. Uh. Leave and cling. But sometimes uh, we, we forget honor. And when he says leave, he doesn't say, now the fifth commandment no longer applies to you. The fifth commandment is for parents to honor their parents, for adults to honor their parents. And one of the ways we do that is to support them financially. One of the main ways that Scripture talks about honoring your parents is financial support. We're going to turn to two Scripture verses to see that that's true. And then we're going to talk about some application on what that might look like and how we go about doing that. Let's look at the first Scripture. The first Scripture is in Matthew chapter 15. You can turn there if you want. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to. If not, just keep your finger in Exodus 20, and we're going to throw some of these up on the projector. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Now, as is typical, the Pharisees, the religious hypocritical leaders in, that, in those days were trying to put the squeeze on Jesus. They're trying to trap him. Here's what they tell him. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? In other words, there's like Scripture, there's Bible stuff, and then the elders in that time put things on top of Scripture, like little added laws. Why, why, why do, they, why do the, your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands when they eat. Now, we do it because we're germophobic. They did it because you had to be clean. And what if I accidentally like touched something dead or something unclean or, or, or brushed up against a guy who didn't wash and then now I'm dirty and... It was this like it was this mania of being clean for purification purposes, and they so they had these laws. They had these laws, and one of them was if you're going to eat, you need to make sure you wash your hands because you never know what you touch. Make sure you wash your hands 
Because you don't want to touch something dirty and then you eat something dirty and now spiritually you're dirty. And here's how Jesus answered. It wasn't very pastoral. Verse 3, He answered them, well, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, why do you break one of the Ten Commandments just to fulfill one of the laws that you made up? Listen to what He says. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Exodus 20.12, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Verse 5, But you say, if anyone, now this is the law that they made up. This is the thing that the religious leaders made up. Here's what they made up. But you say, verse 5, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. Here's what's happening there. In those days, they knew that the fifth commandment meant that you need to support your parents financially. That wasn't a question. That was a given. But then they made up this rule that if you make a vow to God that you'll give so much money to the temple, you better not break that vow. Then they go back to Numbers and these other passages that say if you break a vow with God, you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. Don't you ever break a vow with God. So what would they do? I hate my parents. The last thing I want to do is support them financially. I'm going to make a vow to give money to the church. And then I made that vow. I offered this stuff to the church. And so what the rule that the tradition of the elders came up with was if you make a certain vow that you have to give money to the church and then your parents suddenly are in financial need, if that money has been committed to the church already or, or to the temple, if that money has been committed to the temple already, you don't have to give that to your parents. You give that to the temple because you made that vow. The problem is that is a rule that they made up, whereas honoring your parents is a rule that God gave. And Jesus caught them in the contradiction. You're contradicting Scripture. You're foregoing the fifth commandment for something out of convenience for you. He says, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the Word of God. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. As I read this, I thought to myself, you know, why would, why would they make vows? Why would they make vows such that they couldn't support their parents? And I think it's to spite their parents. It was to spite their parents. I'm going to make this vow, not because it's holy. I'm going to make this vow and this commitment, not because it's, you know, spiritual. I'm going to make it so that I can show the ledger and see, see, this is where the money's going. Sorry, it's going toward the new temple's building project. Can't help you out. But in their hearts, they're going, get out of my life. And Jesus catches them on that contradiction. So right here, right here, we see as Jesus is interpreting that commandment, the fifth commandment, that part of honoring parents includes financial support. Otherwise, Jesus' argument wouldn't make any sense, right? It wouldn't make any sense for Jesus to call them out on not supporting them financially unless he's misquoting the fifth commandment. And if you're like me, you don't think Jesus misquotes. This means Jesus had the right angle on the fifth commandment. And if we haven't thought of it in those terms, that means we have the wrong angle. That part of honoring your parents includes financial support when they're in their older years, when they need that support. Let's look at the second passage in 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, Paul is writing this letter, and he's trying to make sure that the needy people that are in need, people that are in need of support and need of provision, get that support and get that provision. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, 
honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. This is what's godly. This is what's worshipful to do, guys. Let the children or the grandchildren first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You think Paul felt strongly about this one? I mean, I mean, if you, if you, if you ignore this one, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you don't take care of the relatives of your own household, You've lost the faith. Your faith is dead. And you're worse than someone who doesn't have faith at all to begin with. Now, a couple brief notes that I wanted to make on this. When he's talking about widows, I mean, obviously he's talking about when he says truly widows, it's not that, you know, they're technically divorced, but they're totally set up. They're totally, the paycheck is coming in. They're living fat. And they're just, you know, coming to the church like, I need money because I'm a widow. Doesn't the Bible say watch out for widows? Yeah, but we could actually use your support. <laughs> um, he's talking about people that are actually in need. People that actually, they're not living as comfortably as you are because that check's not coming in. So in the case of a widow, that husband's not going out and doing that work anymore and, and something happened and that the paycheck's not coming in and she's too elderly to, to try to go and do work and the kids are out of the house and she needs help. She needs support when the plumbing breaks and when the lawn needs to be cut and when bills need to be paid and, and she doesn't know how to do internet and all. You can think of the situations that would make sense when you say, yes, this person needs support. She's not trying to take advantage of the church. She just needs support. He's saying, now hold on. The church needs to fill that. The church needs to do that, but not yet. First, let the kids do it. And if not the kids, then the grandkids. Let them do it. That's what's right. Let them do it. Now, if there's a void there, the church steps in. But that is the biblical model. The biblical model is that the kids support the parents when the parents can no longer support themselves. And then Paul's emphasis is that, yes, the church will step in if that's not possible, but let me just say a comment about those kids. They're worse than unbelievers. Your parents are older and they need support and you don't support them because you're saving up for that other car. You don't support them because then you'll have to lose your data plan on your iPhone. You don't support them because then you have to cancel Netflix. You don't have faith. He's saying you don't, you don't have, you don't understand the faith. Now when Israel was brought out of Egypt, God gave them the law precisely to A, show them that they're sinful and, and they can't perfectly live up to the law. That's why they would need Christ to come. But secondly, to show that you are not Egypt. We're not going to adopt Egyptian rule. We're not going to live like the Egyptians. And we're going to go into a land called Canaan. And the reason why we have to push everybody out of the land and totally annihilate them is because I don't want you mingling. I don't want you adopting some of their stuff. I don't want you kind of sinking your faith with their faith. This is a separate faith. You do not live like the Egyptians. You do not live like the Canaanites. You live like I'm telling you to live because you're creating my image. I've called you out and I'm laying down the law. 
Paul makes the same argument in 1 Timothy. You are not like unbelievers. And one of the things that separates you from how unbelievers are is looking out for your parents in their older age. Looking out for your parents in their older age when they need support. This is expected of the Christian lifestyle. It's interesting to see here that when he talks about members of your own household, if I were to come up to the average person or just, you know, maybe most of you in here or many of you in here and say, how's your household? You know, I would say I would start talking about my wife. Now she's doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Then I start talking about my kids. And then if you go, okay, how about the other members of your household? I'm ashamed to admit, I'd probably think of my two dogs before I go up to my parents. I'm thinking the physical house. I'm thinking the actual bricks, the actual plot of land and the people that live in it. If I had a cousin living in, I'd probably think of that cousin that's living with us for that time before I would think of my mom in Florida. That doesn't mean I don't care about my mom. It's just the mind state that, that we have here in America maybe is different than the mind state that, that the, the frame of mind that God was trying to cultivate in the Bible. That your parents, that's part of your household. This is why he's saying kids and grandkids have to take care of their own house. Not the physical house, but the relatives. Take care of your own relatives. And so your parents and your grandparents are members of your household. They're members of your household, and you're obligated to support them when they need support. We get that in Matthew and Jesus as he interprets the law. We get that in 1 Timothy as Paul explains how a church is supposed to look out for widows. And obviously we begin with Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus and just make a couple of comments. Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. It's interesting that he doesn't say uh, honor your parents. And he doesn't say just honor mom and dad. If you look there, there's, there's, there's almost this, almost this separation. They're put together, but he says, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father. That's one part of the command. And honor your mother. That's the other part of the command. Now, a lot of us honor mom, but we can't stand dad. Well, we grew close to dad, but mom left when she was early and eh. Well, honor your father and your mother. What if they're separated? See, because pastor back then, you know, God, he was angry and he would like strike people with lightning and stuff. And like, so divorce, you know, nobody divorced. Who would do that? You know, and so the unit was always together. But now it's like we've got moms, uh, dads, stepmoms, stepdads, girlfriends, boyfriends. Now she's dating another one and, and other people are introduced into the picture and, and all this kind of thing. That's not different today. Remember when they asked Jesus about divorce? Jesus said, God hates divorce. And they're saying, hey, well, wait a minute. Moses allowed divorce back in the day. And what did Jesus say? No. Moses didn't allow divorce. He said, yeah, he did it because they were hard of heart. They were stubborn. You know, but if you're born again and you're changed from the inside out, you shouldn't need an external law to tell you divorce is ugly. It should come from within that that's wrong. What's my point? The point is these guys are divorcing all day long. 
multiple wives, multiple divorces. And it was allowed because God allowed it. He didn't like it, but he allowed it in that Old Testament community. Now, if you thought you had a messed up home, think of being an ancient Jew where your dad might have multiple spouses and your mom and the other moms that were close enough that maybe you even consider them moms or some of them might have been more motherly than your own biological mother and you even you know, felt this affinity towards some of these other moms and they're now they're living over here and they're being cared for over there. And I mean, think of the fractured household back then. And the commandment is honor your father and honor your mother. Together, separated, they're your parents. You honor them. You honor them. The other thing that I wanted to point out in terms of this passage, this verse, this commandment, is that the command isn't based on performance. Honor your mother and honor your father so long as they're honoring me. That's not, he didn't say that. Honor your mother and honor your father so long as they're honorable. No. You honor your mother and you honor your father. Now go back to this instant again. Prior to this giving of the law, they didn't have the law. They were slaves in Egypt. They didn't, they didn't have a, a rule of life. They didn't have a Ten Commandments. They didn't have, here's how you govern a household. They didn't have these rules. Maybe some stuff trickled from, uh, from the Egyptians and they observed some things, but a lot of probably dysfunctional habits and you probably had some lawless parenting going on. And when he's speaking to this crowd, he's telling them to honor parents that weren't even raising them according to law. You get what I'm driving at? You probably had some dysfunctional parents and he's telling them, honor them. He doesn't base it on their performance. He doesn't make the fulfillment of this command contingent upon how good your parents are, how much they loved you, how much time they spent with you, whether your dad wrestled with you, whether your mom took you out. He's not depend, it's not dependent or contingent upon your parents' performance. It's contingent wholly upon God's command. Is that your mother? Is that your father? You honor them. You don't make a list of pros and cons and then decide whether you'll honor them. You honor them. And part of honoring them is that when they're older in their years, when they're in their sunset years and they need support, they need help, you step in. You don't cart it off to the church. You don't give it to some, you know, organization. You step in and you help them. Honor your father and your mother. This is the same thing we're going to see when we get to Ephesians. And he has a command, Paul commands the husbands and commands the wives. And in each case, it's not contingent upon the performance of the wife or the husband. Husbands, you do this. Whether or not your wife deserves it, you do it. Because you're a husband. Wives, you do this. Whether or not your husband is the poster boy of husbandness, you're a wife. You do it because God commands it. Same here in the fifth commandment. And I think we could come up with a lot of reasons why we wouldn't want to honor our parents. And we look at this set of commandments and we go, boy, I can see, you know, no other gods before him. That's, I mean, obvious, you know, don't carve images. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's obviously, that's like blasphemy. And I keep the Sabbath day, I get it, it's holy. And then murder, adultery, theft, lying. I mean, we see how these destroy and these honor your mother and father. Eh. You know, I'll send her a Mother's Day card. I mean, why is this a, a, why is this the fifth commandment? <laughs> why is this the fifth commandment? And why is this the first commandment of all the commandments that have to do with relationships? All the other commandments don't have any other gods before God. 
Don't carve any images to try to make it look like God. Uh, 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 keep the Sabbath holy. I mean, these are things that are vertical in nature. And then he switches gears in the middle of the Ten Commandments. He says, now, I want to give you a few commandments that have to do with your relationships to one another. And the first one I want to give you is honor your father and your mother. I, I mean, it doesn't mean it's more important than the other commandments, but it means that I think we, we treat it with less importance than the other commandments. And we look at it and we go, wait a minute, this carries weight. This is, this is for real. This is serious. And it's not dependent upon their performance. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise, which is what? It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, I'm going to take you into this land, and it's going to be good, and there's going to be food, and there's going to be provisions, and it's going to be awesome, and you're going to be protected. I'm going to be over you. You're going to be blessed. And a lot of that is dependent on how you honor your father and your mother. You want God's blessing? You want God's protection? You want God to rebuild your home? You need to go back to the first, the fifth commandment. You want God to look over you and help you with your kids? Well, look back and how are you as a kid? We expect our kids to be honorable. We expect our kids to respect us. We expect them to not rebel when they get into their teen years. And we have all these expectations and prayers and we want, we pray, God, please help, help these kids understand what it's like to be a kid that honors their parents. And we're not honoring our parents. Or maybe we're not even in that mind state that we're still even have any obligation to those parents that we left, that we left their house years ago. Not understanding that they're still members of our household, and we carry an obligation to honor them, not just in word, not just with a card once a year, not just on their birthdays, but that when they need support, we step in to support them. That's honoring your father and honoring your mother. And so I think that uh, as we have uh, this goal to fix our homes, it's almost like you want to fix your floors and you don't want to address your leaky roof. Now, I don't know how many of you would ever do that. You want new floors, you want new carpet. The carpet is ruined because there's drippage from a messed up roof. And you go, well, nobody really looks up. I mean, how many of us actually come in and go like this? Nah, nobody really. And as long as we put enough buckets and maybe just do some shoddy like patchwork, some plaster, you know, it's not going to drip really and we can get by and have some guests over. But what are they looking at? They're looking at the carpet, and it's cruddy, so let's replace the carpet instead. And what happens? The roof is still messed up, it still leaks through, and the carpet's still messed up. Praying that God would help you as a parent, and help you with your kids, and help your marriage, and all this stuff, and not addressing how you act with your parents, is like trying to fix the floor and ignoring the roof. He's saying, look back first at your parents before you ask God's blessing on moving forward with your family. Honor your father and your mother. Your household includes your parents. Part of honoring your parents is to support them financially in their old age. When your parents had you, for most of you, for most of you, when your parents had you, they had to rearrange their budget and completely readjust their lives to support you. And the biblical command is, now it's your turn. Don't you dare cart it off to the church when you can step in. 
That would make you worse than an unbeliever. Your responsibility is to your parents. Not dependent on how they performed as a parent. Dependent on God's command. This is how he made it. God invented the family tree. You look up and those two that are above you, you support them, you honor them. The two above them, if they're still alive, you support them and honor them. And it includes financial support. If your parents are, are elderly and, uh, and they need support, they're not living as comfortably as you are, um, and maybe they make it pretty well known, and maybe they're the passive-aggressive type, like, so, you enjoying your lawn? You know, do your pipes knock? I mean, maybe they're just, or maybe they're honest and they tell you, hey, here's some problem. Um, I know my dad is the type that, that, I mean, unless he's like on the brink of death, he's not going to call for help. And he likes to live out there and, 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 you know, um, the Boston area and just, just kind of be alone. And we talk like on his birthdays and Father's Day, but it's not real close. He doesn't pick up the phone a lot and he doesn't let me know what things are. I kind of have to dig and I have to probe. I know uh, a brother of mine from my dad's previous marriage to um, mine, uh, my parents, um, to this day has a hard time picking up the phone to call dad. He told me one time he picked up the phone and his finger was actually shaking to try to dial that number to call my father. And that did a wonders for me because I thought, boy, sometimes I would get that feeling. I didn't literally shake, but I mean, you get that feeling like, I could just very easily just leave this whole dude behind. You know? But there's this thing in the back of your mind, in the back of your heart, that it's like, you know what, he's your father. He's not some grumpy old man that lived in the house when you were a kid. He's your dad. There was a family member that was just berating my father once. Look at the things he's done. He's done this and done that. I say, hey, he's my dad. And that ended the conversation right there. There's something about the honor that is, it's an obligation. It should be wired inside of us. And sometimes there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that makes you want to cut those ties and erase those things. And your finger might shake to dial the number to your dad or to your mom or your granddad or your grandma. But the command is to honor them. For a long time, I try to become buddies. Doesn't work. For a long time, I tried to get him to say certain things that would help me heal. Now, then I realized one day, I said, you know what? That's between him and the Lord. What's between me and the Lord? Honor him. I pick up that phone on his birthday. I pick up that phone on, his, on Father's Day. If I hear of storms going through Massachusetts, I pick up the phone, make sure he's okay. Once in a while, I try to dig and say, hey, you know, bills, uh, hospital bills, are you okay? Are you healthy? Things like that. Get in touch with my brothers. Hey, have you heard from Pop? Is he doing all right? Okay, those kinds of things. And I'm still learning the process. But it's honoring father and honoring mother. My mom's easy to honor, so maybe yours isn't. And I think sometimes we have to work through a lot of grief, pain, heartaches to get to the place where we can fulfill this command. We have to work through that. And we're going to take a moment and a couple minutes here to do that. But I want you guys to uh, uh, think practically, think applicationally, right? You feel like your budget is stretched. Well, so was your parents when you were born. Maybe they had to cancel their ancient form of Netflix 
so you could go to school with a full stomach. It's, it's our turn now. We need to make sure they're supported. I'd like to ask the band to come forward.